0: For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be ear of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the ears, faith is null and the promise is void." of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No destruct made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the death Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification.
1: Dear brothers and sisters, happy International Language Ministry Day. My name is Roman, and I am, like many of us here today, serving in the International Language Ministry at Willington Church. Namely, I serve in the Russian Language Ministry. We continue in the Apostle Paul's letter to Romans. And by the way, if you forget my name, don't worry about it. Just remember which book we've been going through in the last few weeks. I kind of feel sometimes that the Apostle Paul wrote me a personal letter. Well, to me and to other Romans. That's very kind of him. Our scripture passage today talks about fulfillment of God's promises. Promises to Abraham, but also promises to us. And we see right away in today's text that God's promises become reality through faith. The grace of God is working through faith, not through the law, not through simply doing things because we have to, but through believing something. But this faith is special. It is special because it produces righteousness. And when we say righteousness, we are not talking about something abstract that religious people are supposed to have but a certain way of life that expresses itself in a certain behavior. Throughout his letter, Paul insists that this righteousness is an indispensable part of our salvation. In fact, in the very next chapter, he will say that the promise of eternal life hangs on on the grace of God reigning through righteousness. If there is no righteousness, there is no eternal life. The stakes are very high. We need to have this righteousness somehow. And Paul tells us that the only way to get it is by faith. And I think it's important for us to try to figure out what this faith is. So what is this special faith that Abraham had? You probably know the story. Abraham and his wife Sarah found themselves in a desperate situation. Sarah was barren. They didn't have children to pass on their lineage. And on top of that, both Sarah and Abraham were getting old, very old, in fact. And then God promised Abraham that the impossible would happen. Not only would Abraham have a son from Sarah, but he'd become a father to many nations. And his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. That's quite a promise. And the scripture says... Abraham believed God. That's it. So simple. He just believed. Actually, it isn't that simple. Let's see what happened. Well, first, the relationship between God and Abraham was very unusual at that time. People back then believed in gods, of course, but the relationship between humans and gods was that of a business necessity, we might say. People needed rain. Gods wanted food, so there would be a sacrifice. A transaction would take place. But the God who appeared to Abraham didn't need anything from him at all. It was God who initiated the discussion, and he promised to bless Abraham. And Abraham believed God. Why was it so unusual? Let's read a verse from the book of Deuteronomy. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. We see throughout the book of Deuteronomy that God had to constantly remind people that his intentions towards them were good. Why? Why? Because despite all the religious rituals and activity, people didn't really believe that God was truly interested in their well-being. But again, why? Because their faith in a God who is good had been lost. We lost this faith in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were made to doubt the goodness of their Creator. And since then, the whole of humanity is predisposed not to trust God. Yes, religious people may agree that His commandments are good, that they make sense, that they might be useful as an ethical system, but at a deeper level, people simply do not believe that everything God does, He does it out of love for us. Deep inside, we doubt that when God asks us to do something, His intention is always to bless us, to do us good. But Abraham did believe it. He did. He found what Adam and Eve lost, namely a faith in a God who is good. We see how in this man, Abraham, the faith in the goodness of the Creator was restored. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Believers like Abraham are not superhumans. And saving faith isn't some sort of superpower. But it's a very rational conviction. And the rationale is very simple. God is good. He seeks the good of his children. He wants to bless. And there is a reward when we find him. If we believe that, we seek him. We obey. We expect a reward. That's what Abraham did. The second thing about Abraham's faith is that he believed in hope against all hope. Abraham wasn't a naive man. He he might not have had access to all kinds of information that we have today, but he was wise enough to know that dead people stay dead, to know that women who are barren and are past their childbearing age cannot have children. But Abraham believed that when God says something, when he promises something, you could rely on God's promise more than you could rely on your own experience and understanding of the world. He believed that the promises of God could be trusted even when the circumstances suggest otherwise. According to our text, the reason why Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness is that he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. The original translation suggests that it's not just the ability of God that Abraham believed in, it was God's faithfulness, God's intent to keep his promise. Abraham believed that God is faithful. So, this is the faith. Trust in the goodness of God, in his love for us, his goodwill for us, and his ability and intent to fulfill his promises. That is his faithfulness. But how does it lead to righteousness? We suppose someone could believe that God is good and he is able to do what he promised to do. But how does this person become righteous? Again, remember, we are not, talking about righteousness in some mystical or symbolic sense, but a real Christ-like everyday behavior driven by Christ-like character. Recently, Pastor Ray led us on a series entitled The Beautiful Way. It was based on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and it had a big impact on me personally. Jesus thought about the kingdom of God and what kind of people can live there in the kingdom. And uh, one of the things Jesus taught about was forgiveness. For the sake of example, imagine if I were a guy who wants to achieve righteousness by obeying the law, but without faith. So I hear the commandment, forgive. But there's one thing about myself you don't know. And I'm speaking here hypothetically. Remember, it's just an example. One thing about myself you don't know that I'm kind of a person who doesn't like to forgive others at all. What I do like is to get even with people. Let's say I actually enjoy punishing people when they offend me. I like to make people suffer a little bit for the wrong they did to me. But I hear God saying, forgive. I don't like what I'm hearing. I don't want to forgive, but I have to. I do want to get into the kingdom and I know that righteousness is the key and God is the boss. And there is no point in arguing with the boss. He makes the rules. So I say, okay. But then I ask, how many times do I actually have to forgive? Well, I just gave myself up, didn't I? I want to become righteous without actually becoming a forgiving person. But, what if I have faith? What if I believe that forgiveness, or rather being a forgiven person, is the very essence of life with God who forgives? Forgiving others might still be challenging for me, but if I believe that becoming someone who forgives everyone, every time, all the time, is the door to the kingdom, if I believe that, I will stop counting how many times I forgave someone, but instead I will examine myself to see if there is any unforgiveness in my life. If there is still someone out there who I haven't forgiven yet, increasingly forgiveness will become part of me. Even when it's hard, I will always be seeking to forgive. Do you see what happens when I believe? The nature and righteousness of God who in Christ forgave us is becoming my righteousness too is I am becoming a forgiving person. Another example, Jesus also teaches us, love your neighbor as yourself. Let me volunteer again to be a bad guy here. Let's just say, for example, that I'm the kind of person who only likes those who are like me. I stick with people who agree with me on everything, and they have the same worldview as I do. I might even say that I love those people and don't mind helping them out once in a while if they need help. But I don't care much about other people, those that aren't like me, who don't share my views. It's not that I hate them. It's just that I don't want to have anything to do with them. That's all. Well, maybe I do actually hate some of them. And if they have a difficult time, well, that's too bad. It's it's their problem. They are not getting any help from me. And then I hear the commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And you see, I'm in a tough spot again. God is the boss. Righteousness is required. But I don't want to become a person who loves people, especially when it costs me something. So I ask God, who is my neighbor anyway? You see what I'm trying to do again? I want to limit the number of people I'm supposed to love, choose the ones that are easy for me to love anyway, so that I can remain who I really am, someone who, in general, does not love people. But what if I have faith? What if I believe in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me? What if I believe that if I imitate this Son of God and become a person who loves people, even if it requires sacrifice, I then enter into life with God who is love. And if I believe that, instead of trying to limit the number of people I'm supposed to love, I will be rearranging my time, my finances, my priorities, my whole life, so that I can show the love of God to all people. And as I do that, the righteousness of Christ who loved me and gave himself for me will increasingly become my righteousness too. And it's all because of my faith. Jesus concludes his Sermon on the Mount with this proposition. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Dying to yourself sounds impossible or at least unbelievably difficult, doesn't it? But what if we have faith in God who loves us and wants to save us? And our faith allows us to see this request from God in a totally different light. We start to see dying to self as a necessary part of this salvation that God offers. If we have this faith, then dying to self becomes a way to life with God. Not a list of excruciating religious tasks, but a door through which we enter eternal life. Today we are celebrating the international language ministries that are part of the Wellington Church family. We have people of different races and nationalities who came here from all over the world. Including English, we worship God in at least 12 languages. And we do it together. We serve together. We go on mission trips together. We try to follow Jesus together. But you know, it's not a typical picture of what's happening in the world right now. The world is divided as ever. We see less and less willingness from different people groups to find common ground. Why is it possible for us to be together here at our church? Well, because of our faith. Going back to our text today, we believe that Abraham is the father of us all because we have the same faith as he did. At Willington, we serve together because we believe that the kingdom of God will look exactly like this. Different people groups serving and worshiping God together in love. We also believe that the kingdom is here already. And the eternity has started for us already. And since we believe that, we figure out that we might as well start living in the kingdom now. Without the faith like that of Abraham, it is impossible to please God. We are saved by the grace of God through this very faith. You might be asking yourself now, how can I have this faith? Or how can I get more of it? The faith that we just talked about is a gift from God. It cannot be manufactured by our own will, but we can ask for it. We can also put ourselves in a position when we are ready to receive the gift. Later in his letter, Paul tells us that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. As we hear and contemplate, Christ dying for us on the cross something happens the faith in God's goodness and faithfulness is restored to us and we believe and we obey and we are being transformed and we are being saved let's pray Father we ask for the gift of faith the same faith that Abraham had we want to be able to believe in your goodness to believe in your faithfulness. We want to have faith that propels us into action, that pushes us to seek you, because we want to find you. And we want to have you as our reward. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters, happy International Language Ministers' Day. God bless you.